Welcome to the Trevor Turnbull Show, where you'll hear vulnerable, honest stories that will inspire you to embrace your mess and live your best life. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My guest today is Cyrus Foote. So Cyrus is somebody that I met through a men's group that I get together with uh, every single Monday. And it's a space where you have men from all over the world, different backgrounds, different races. Some people are married with kids. Others are single and just out of college. Others are, they have grandkids. And, you know, everybody really just shows up authentically, vulnerably, honestly. They're able to be seen, be heard, just be able to talk through what they're going through right now. And Cyrus was somebody that uh, really stood out to me in that group, uh, partially because of his background. So he actually currently lives in New Zealand and he's and he's living on a boat. Um, and when I asked him about it, because at first I was like, it's kind of strange, this guy's living on a boat. And then I find out that he's actually a captain of that boat. So this is a big yacht and he's actually been doing this for years. In fact, a couple of decades and he actually owns some property down in Costa Rica as well. So we, you know, there was a few commonalities where I was like, hey, do you want to have a conversation? And we just hopped on a Zoom call and I found out that, uh, you know, Cyrus really has a passion for um, sustainability. He has a passion for the current state of the world that we're in and climate change and all of these different things. And we didn't even honestly get a chance to talk deeply about that the first time we talked, but I knew immediately that I wanted to have a conversation with him on the podcast because these are things that, you know, consciously I was aware of the climate change and of, you know, different documentaries like Seaspiracy and that type of thing that just speaks to the the uh, gravity of the challenges that we're facing as a society and, and in the world today. And I knew that Cyrus would have a lot to contribute to this conversation. And of course, you know, a vision of his and, and, and what he's really motivated by is driven around these topics. So, you know, we dove deep into that conversation and he gave his perspective of being somebody that's been on the sea, on the ocean and actually seeing what's going on. And he spoke about what he's doing to create change and what he's doing to create awareness and that ripple effect that uh, ultimately creates the transformation that everybody ultimately wants. Because, you know, we have to take care of this world. And if we don't, then it might it will never exist in the way that it does now. So I think this is an important conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it. So let's go ahead and give it a listen. Cyrus, good to see you, man. It's uh, it's great to chat with you again here. Obviously, we don't spend a ton of time together, but I've been looking forward to having this conversation with you. Yeah, totally. Well, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, you bet. Um, you know, I would have given a little bit of context in the introduction leading into this as to who you are and how we connected, but you know, we haven't known each other for that long, only a few months since I joined the Mentorship Mondays with uh, Nick and Di. And, you know, I've alluded to the fact that I met a bunch of really great people in that group and you know, maybe we'll kind of riff on that really quickly here just to give everybody some context. But, you know, sometimes you meet people and you feel like you've known them forever or like you you could easily sit down and spend a weekend and just hang out and talk about stuff. And I kind of felt that way with you and actually everybody in that group, to be to be quite honest. But um, it's pretty amazing, the community and, and the space that's been created with that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a great group. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, I know I've mentioned it before in in some of uh, the chats that we've had in that group, but it just really feels so much like a like a campfire to me. You know, kind of just sitting around the campfire, talking with your brothers about just the things that are coming up, and and a lot of the things that make maybe don't come up in everyday life. But when you have a space where it's kind of just men and just men being real and authentic, like some things come up, and and it's nice to have the space for that to kind of exist in. Yeah, absolutely, and. And it's never more obvious than now, too, obviously, with lockdowns and COVID restrictions and everything else. But we were kind of joking around before we flipped the switch on this. I said, we were having some audio issues. And I said, yeah, it kind of sounded like you're in a boat and kind of tucked into a closet. And you're like, well, actually, I kind of am. Cyrus is actually living on a boat, right? And you're in New Zealand, I understand? I am. I am. I'm I'm on a boat. This is a boat here behind me. This is all teak. I'm on a 70-foot sailboat here in, in Auckland, New Zealand, and uh, we sailed in here 
uh, sailed across the Pacific and sailed into New Zealand in October of 2019. And that was uh, just a few months before the pandemic started. And, and so we, we came in to do some work and we we're meant to continue sailing. This is a global sailing program. And we've been here ever since. So it's almost two years now that we've been wow. sitting here. And we've done a lot of work since we've been here. We took advantage of the time to do some work to the boat because they have good facilities here. But, um, you know, for the large part, it was a break in, in what was a global program. And so we haven't been doing much sailing at all, just some test sailing around the coast. Yeah, so it's even more polarizing for you, right? Where you're literally, I'm sure you're around other people, but to be taken from this space, and I think it's just an important thing to address, the fact that, you know, when COVID hits, everybody, you know, hunkered down and you were told to stay home and then there's been varying levels of lockdown. And I know New Zealand in particular has been very, very, like, they closed the borders, didn't they? didn't let anybody yeah. in and they've had yeah. very low case counts, I think as a result, haven't they? But how has it been being there and, and being on the boats? Like, do you get out into the community? I think you mentioned that like you literally couldn't leave because you wouldn't be able to come back. Isn't that what you told me last time? Yeah. Well, as far as me, my immigration status as a, as a foreigner, uh, since they're only allowing Kiwis back into the country, and they still are only allowing Kiwis back into the country, if I were to choose to leave for whatever reason, if I wanted to fly home, or if, God forbid, I had a friend or family member that got sick from COVID, I, I obviously would try to go visit them and be with them. And that mm -hmm. would be a one-way ticket. You know, if I were to leave New Zealand at any time in this, the last two years, like I wouldn't have been able to come back and come back to this work that I'm doing here with this boat. So, right. it, yeah, so that was kind of like, I've been stuck here in, in that essence. Like if I wanted to keep this job and, and keep this program moving as the captain, then I would have to stay here. And so I've been here, yeah, throughout the pandemic. And um, it's, it's been a blessing. I've been, enjoyed being in New Zealand. It's, it's been a bit of a lifeboat from the pandemic. You know, we haven't really had, as you said, we've had very low case counts here. They closed the borders uh, and immediately kind of just went into a high level lockdown uh, and and it's a very compliant population here, and and they were all happy to kind of like they call it the team of five million. There's only five million people in the country, and everybody kind of you know did what the government asked them to do, and and stayed home and took all the measures that we needed to take in lockdown, and and they stamped out the virus, and they kept the borders closed, and so we got to live without COVID for a year. This whole last year. We're, these last 12 months, we were living without COVID while the rest of the world was going through lockdowns, rolling lockdowns, pandemic, you know, all kinds of problems that were associated with the COVID, the COVID reality. And, and we got to go to music festivals and we got to, you know, go to oh, wow. live music events and, and we didn't have to, to have any of these other restrictions. So we're, it was really nice to be here to be a part of that. But it also required, as you say, these sacrifices, like I couldn't leave and come back. And, and also, you know, to get to that point, you know, these lockdowns that they did here were quite intense, you know, it was in your house for 23 hours out of the day, you could leave and go do exercising or go to the supermarket or the pharmacy. But it's other than that, it's just a post-apocalyptic kind of ghost town. Yeah. It's very interesting. And, um, you know, I want to get into your background and ultimately like what led you to there where you are right now. And I think to just set a little context too, and I know we spoke about this a little bit before, but there's a quote by Brene Brown where she says, one day you will tell your story of how you overcame what you went through and it will be somebody else's survival guide. So I'll use that to kind of set the context here to just create the space to say, I'd love to hear your background story of kind of like what led you to this, because you're doing a very unique thing, number one, right? Um, and then number two and number three is you and I have talked about Costa Rica because I remember I brought it up or maybe Stefan did on one of our calls like months ago. And you said, hey, guys, if you ever have any questions about Costa Rica, just let me know. I got a place there. And I was like, okay, I got to talk to this guy because like, you need the like insider understanding of what's going on. And then the other piece, of course, is just our last conversation dove into just this whole idea of like, climate change and sustainability. And, and it really kind of cracked a nut open for me. And we were like right at the end of our call because my kids were climbing all over me, but that's what led to this conversation was like, we should just do a podcast and talk about that. So I want to dive into all those pieces because I don't think people are born thinking about climate change and sustainability. Something obviously in your lifetime has led you to be passionate about this thing. So 
Do you want to maybe back things up for people and just tell, uh, let them know like a little bit of your journey along the way here and kind of like what led you to being in this boat here and then we'll let it lead us down the path of talking about that stuff. Yeah, sure. I mean, I can start with my mother is a sailor. And so she's the one that got me into sailing. And I did my first ocean passage when I was three years old, sailed from with her from the Caribbean all the way up the eastern seaboard to Boston. And so that was my introduction to ocean sailing at a really young age. And it it basically planted the the seed in in my being to continue to 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 want to go out and adventure and explore the world through through that medium, through sailing. And so I went back and I went to school and I, you know, back in the States. Uh, and my parents were separated when I was five, you know, so my mother was the gypsy sailor and I'd go and spend time with her on sailboats. And my father was more of a homebody and he lived in Massachusetts. And so I kind of got the best of both worlds. I had stability on one side and, and the adventure on the other. And so I went back to live with my dad and, and I, I lived in Massachusetts and, uh, you know, had that upbringing there. But then when I was old enough to, to leave home, I went and wanted to adventure on sailboats. And um, at first I was like, well, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to make enough money so I can buy my own sailboat. And I realized that sailboats are quite expensive and it was going to take me quite a while to save up to buy my own. I mean, I might be in my my 30s or 40s by the time I was actually able to buy my own sailboat and, and then retire or sail around the world then. And this is, I was young at this point, I was in my late teens and I was ready for adventuring at that point. So I decided to, um, to go the route of becoming a captain and sailing other people's sailboats around. And so I did hmm. that when I was, I moved to, to Hawaii uh, when I was in 20 years old. I moved to Hawaii and, and I started sailing there and I started working in outdoor education and um, sailing sailboats around the Hawaiian Islands. And, and, and then from the outdoor education, I got into working with um, data collection with scientists mostly with cetaceans, uh, humpback whales, and some dolphin research. Uh, and then that, that led into um, more experience as a captain and, and a waterman living in Hawaii, was surfing and diving uh, and kayaking. And then that led into working on an actual expedition boat. So I became the first mate on, a, on an expedition boat that was sailing around the world. And that was in uh, 2003. And, uh, and I was with that expedition for five years, almost five years. It was the Sorcerer 2 expedition. It was a 100-foot sailboat. And we were tasked with sailing around the world, collecting ocean water and looking at the microbes. And specifically, we were working on grants from the... Uh, well, we were working on grants from several grants, but most of what we were looking for was uh, alternative energy in the form of like biology, in the form of microbes. And, and so that, that brought us all over the world. That was a four-and-a-half-year expedition. And, and through that work, we were able to work with um, all different kinds of scientists and universities and research institutes and climatologists and microbiologists and marine biologists and oceanographers. And it was through that experience of working with those, those people that were collecting all that data that we, that we really started to get a, a, a broad and, and solid picture as to how much we were destroying the environment. You know, because every mm. every scientist that we came across that was studying the environment, some aspect of the environment, was looking at factors that were in decline. So, they, and it was all from human activity. It was all from pollution or some some form of human activity that was causing all these uh, these these ecosystems to be in in decline. And so that really offered. And what year was this again? This was uh, between two thousand and three and two thousand and seven. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, like 20, almost 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the time when, when uh, Al Gore was doing his first world tour and that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he was, he was talking about climate change at that time and he was talking about, you know, the data that these scientists were collecting, but nobody was really listening then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say nobody, but I wouldn't say that it really made the impact that we, that we were all expecting that it would. You know, the people that were working in these environments, in these ecosystems that were watching this collapse happening. And then we said, wow, here's an emissary. Here's somebody that's traveling the world. Here's the, the, the vice president or former vice president that's traveling the world. And he's talking about this stuff. This is what's really going to make the change. This is what's going to 
what's going to um, wake the world up to to what's happening. And it didn't. It didn't. It didn't. It, it, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, it did to a certain extent, but then there was all this doubt that got brought in about whether or not it was real. And there was there was the three mm. percent of scientists that said that it, you know, that that were saying that it wasn't real, as opposed to the ninety-seven that were, and 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 that caused enough doubt. And there was a huge misinformation campaign that was launched by the by the petrol fuel companies, and and it yeah. was it was yeah, it, it never it never materialized the way that we thought it would. And history repeats itself over and over again, right? <laughs> it's like you're seeing all of that nowadays, even too, with a number of different issues. But, um, but anyways, yeah. Continue on. So you're so you're doing this stuff. You're seeing the research. It's um, obviously it must have had an impact on you back then. What what was the feeling for you as you saw this awareness being built, but then nobody really doing anything about it? Yeah, I mean it's it's frustrating. It's um, it's uh, it's sad. I mean, you, you go through your own um, processes um, of um, realizing that you know we're we're going down a path as a species that's like you know that's not sustainable. We're going off a cliff, you know. And so when you really start to see that, um, it's uh, you go through your own mourning process, uh, and then and then once you get through that, you come out on the other side of that, and you're like, okay, well. You know, we can either continue to just kind of throw our hands up in the air and, and just say there's nothing that we can do about this and just kind of submit to this catastrophe, or we work towards trying to find solutions. Uh, and, you know, unless you want to be depressed for the rest of your life, then that's what you end up falling into is you fall into like, okay, what are the solutions? Like, what can we do about this? Um, and then that pushes you into, into sustainability and, and what we now call re- uh, regeneration. Because uh, sustainability was kind of the, it has been the buzzword for a number of years, but really sustaining is like, if you're going to cook into a, cook in a kitchen and it's already dirty and you want to keep on cooking, you're just saying, sustaining is just saying like, oh, we're just going to leave the kitchen dirty and just keep cooking on the dirtiness that's, that's in this kitchen. Regeneration is going into the kitchen and saying, okay, well, we want to keep cooking in this kitchen, but we're also going to be cleaning it as we go. You know, so that's that's really where we need to be headed is is into regeneration, and a lot of what we call sustainability right now is is moving into uh, regenerative properties and and projects. So it's yeah, yeah, that's the future. That's where we're headed. Yeah, no, it's interesting you say that, and I I kind of knew that our conversation might bounce around a bunch of different places, but I know I watched and I mentioned this to you. I watched a Netflix show, and I was trying to remember what it was called. I just googled it again, but breaking boundaries and they talk, they actually use really great visuals talking about this threshold or this like line that we um, are pushing towards crossing and then we crossed it and now we're in this yellow danger zone. And, and then the scientists are saying that like, it's literally like another decade before there's irreversible um, impact on the world. And the first thing that comes to mind in you saying this is like, I totally forgot about the Al Gore stuff and the fact that his his documentary came out 20 years ago. And it just brought up the thought, like the analogy that I'm thinking of is like, you know, I enjoy a good hamburger, but if you threw me on the kill floor and I saw where it actually came from, I might be a little disturbed. But then the other side that comes up though is like, but would I actually change my actions? And I think that's the question that we're that we're presenting here, really, a little bit is like, it's one thing to kind of see it, and for you being on the ocean, you've seen it. You know, you've actually seen this impact. You've seen the science. I'm interested to know, actually, have you seen these like garbage patches? Have you? I think last time we talked about Costa Rica, you were t- you're saying like you're a surfer, right? And and I think you talked a little bit about the water even too, and how you've seen changes in it over time. Yeah, I mean, we, to answer your question, I have sailed through the the South Pacific trash gyre. Yeah, there's there's one in in both the Atlantic and and the Pacific. Um, yeah, more than one actually, but there's the the big one that everybody talks about is in is in the South Pacific, and we have sailed through it. It's 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 disheartening. I mean, it it really is. Um, it's like you know when you're out in the ocean in the middle of the ocean, and you just you're on this giant blue disc. I mean, you look around you. 360 degrees is, is just horizon. You know, it's as far yeah. as you can see to the horizon. And and when you're going through that Pacific tra- trash gyre, it is like trash and plastic floating everywhere. It's to, to the horizon in all directions. 
and wow. for days, for days. I mean, you you go to sleep and it's you know trash is kind of like bouncing off the hole, and you wake up and you spend twelve hours sailing through it. And it's bouncing off the hole, and you go to sleep and you wake up and you go to sleep and you wake up and it's like that for days. So I mean, it is there and it's and it's real and and it's just it's a manifest a visual manifestation of of how out of alignment we are um, with mm. with how we're you know utilizing the the resources on the planet in unsustainable ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I can just only picture it in my mind. I just can't imagine what it would be like to experience that or see it. And I know we're referencing this a little bit before we hopped on here too, but I did another, another interview earlier today where we were talking about impact, like from an individual level, like you see something like that. And then you think, well, is me not throwing my straws in the garbage or, you know, using recyclables, uh, recyclable packages and stuff really going to make a difference? And of course, it's um, it's a compounding effect, right? But it's interesting you say the regeneration. So do you want to maybe dig into that a little bit and just uh, kind of define what that means exactly? Because I'm hoping that that maybe, you know, goes down a whole nother rabbit hole here because I'm just interested in understanding what you mean by the regeneration side of things. Well, I mean, first of all, to answer your question, yes, it does make a difference. Is that all that we need to do? No, it's not. You know, so it's like we need to be making these choices on an individual basis, which I think all of us are kind of, you know, willing to do. But it is also changing our culture. It's, it's about shifting towards uh, policy on community levels, like whether it's a your town or or your your small community within your town, or if it's your state or your your nation, or even as a global community, we need to be uh, switching our policy to be more in alignment with uh, sustainability. Basically, you know, um, not pulling resources out of of our earth and out of our planet at an unsustainable rate, and also not polluting at an unsustainable rate. You know, the earth is, is resilient. She can, she can absorb a lot of what we're, what we're doing, but only to a certain extent. So we need to, we need to come back more into, into a sustainable relationship with that. And that means that we need to adopt policy on, on, on community-wide, nationwide, and, and global sizing, you know. So that's, that's where we need to be. We need to be, what, what is it? Um, it's, um, you know, uh, think local, but act globally is that mm. or no it's act local think global yeah so this is what we need to be doing we need to be like acting in our local sphere where we have our influence but thinking about the broader global sphere yeah and it's it's an interesting thought process with that too because obviously the covid situation and the lockdowns and everything just polarized and like amplified everything you know around you know the impact of one person and you know, just how important relationships are or travel or all of these things. And, you know, when you tie them all together and you think like, I haven't been to Costa Rica yet. And I know you have a place there and it's got a special place in your heart even too, but I'm sure the Costa Rica that I'm going to is very different than the one that you first experienced when you went there too. And specifically around this kind of thing, right? Like even just garbage floating in the ocean when you're out surfing and stuff. Like how long ago were you in Costa Rica for the very first time? And what's what have you seen change in that environment? Oh, in Costa Rica? Yeah, Costa Rica's yeah. changing a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was The first time I went to Costa Rica was probably about 15 years ago. And, uh, and it was just a few years after that that I, that I bought um, property there. And built a built a home, and and I've been sailing ever since. So you know, I say I built a home, but I've only been really able to go back and visit for two or three months out of the year at the most, uh, and yep. hoping to to get there more often in the future. But I've seen it change a lot. You know, there's been a a lot of uh, North Americans, a lot of Californians that have that have moved down there. It's a safe country. There's no military. It's safe to invest in, uh, and and there's a lot of ecotourism. And and a good portion of the Costa Rican GDP actually comes from ecotourism, which means that a lot of the money that they're making comes from looking after and taking care of the environment, which is a really important um, national equation. Yeah, and this is that ripple effect, I guess, that I'm I'm seeing and kind of alluding to is that you know Costa Rica has a major major reliance on that um, that outside money coming in in the form of investment and travelers and that type of thing. And then something like 
COVID hits and it just comes to a screeching halt. And then now there's different policies that play or, you know, just different restrictions that make it more challenging for people to travel. And it seems like it was just this like culminating event that just exploded all of a sudden. And I wonder on the like sustainability and just the the climate change kind of things, like what needs to happen to create the wake up call, you know? Cause you said like, it's uh you know, Al Gore has this documentary. I, I've just mentioned the Breaking Boundaries one. Like, that one literally, like, disturbed me. And then Seaspiracy, same thing. I watched that one. And again, I'm sure from your seat of your experience and stuff, you're probably looking at it and like, yeah, that's scratching the surface. It's probably enough to scare some people. But will it actually create change? Like, uh, I'm assuming you've seen those documentaries, hey? The, the Netflix specials and whatnot? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I've seen them and and a lot of the information because of my experience and, and what I've been able to be a part of, I already knew a lot of that. Um, yeah. but it, it, that was my personal experience. I, it was really good to see that on a, on a big platform like, like Netflix and to have people talking about it and saying like, wow, I saw that documentary and it was like, you know, really enlightening for me. And it's good to see that on popular platforms that's getting coverage. Um, it's important. And I, you know, yeah. to answer your question, I think the, the the equation that we're working with is is that we tend to want to protect that which we appreciate, right? And mm. so I think that you know, like you were talking about, you liking burgers, and uh, and and you're not really sure how much it would affect you if you went and and saw uh, a factory farm or what it is, uh, wherever yeah. the meat's coming from. And you know, like if you came to maybe appreciate and love cows more then maybe that would make a difference as to your how often you wanted to eat them you know like uh (laughs) so it's i think that's the equation that we're working with is like we we protect what we love and appreciate and so how do we you know create that awareness about you know like or it's it environmentalism and and sustainability is it's it's a twofold equation it's about creating awareness around the solutions that we have available to us and also it's about fueling the fire of appreciation, mm. inspiring people to be, uh, you know, appreciative of, of the world that we live in. And it's just about, about the diversity of the world that we live in and wanting to, wanting to save that, wanting to save that for themselves and for future generations. And you mentioned before, you, you mentioned a couple of times that documentary, which is a really good one, uh, Breaking Boundaries. And, mm-hmm. and the big focus on that documentary is, is, as you mentioned, it's talking about these tipping points and about how we're, we're, reaching and in some cases surpassing these tipping points in a very short period of time, uh, just in one generation. And it's a really, it's an awesome opportunity because, you know, what we're looking at right now is that the the people that are alive on the planet today, they're the ones that are going to be deciding because we can or cannot pass these, these tipping points. They're the ones that are going to be deciding what kind of planet we might be looking at for the next 10 generations or a hundred generations. So it's like a huge responsibility. Like no other generation in the history of our species has had that responsibility. And, and yet here we are, you know, and that, that's, what's, that's what's so amazing about being alive right now is, is that, you know, these choices that we make over the next decade or two decades, whether we are able to stay within these boundaries is going gonna, is gonna to affect the planet for thousands of years. It's going to affect the diversity and the world that we live in as humans. And the planet will survive. The planet will go through her cycles, right? Yeah. What we're talking about is what our experience is going to be like, what our kids' experience is going to be like. Are they going to live in a rich, diverse world? Or are they going to live in a world that's like in decline, where there's not as much diversity, where there's mass species extinctions, where there's dead coral reefs and you know a lot of uh, problems with drought and, and climate change and topsoil erosion and... <laughs> Melting polar ice caps. I mean, all these things are, they're, they're not just happening at some point in the distant future. They're happening now, you know, and, and we still have an opportunity within these, these coming years to, to put the brakes on it and to make sure that the damage that's, that is being done is mitigated and, and that we can go back to, we're still on the edge of being able to go back to, you know, a really rich, ha- healthy and, and happy, diverse planet. But if we if we wait another 20, 30, 40 years, and it's even another 10 years in some cases, it depends on which tipping points you're looking at, then it's going to be too late. And it, it'll affect thousands of years of, of life on the planet. So it's, it's an amazing opportunity to be alive, that we can, we can be the ones that, that are making these decisions. 
Yeah, absolutely. And there's a quote that comes to mind, actually. I think it's Dr. Joe Dispenza that talks about transformation of yourself, you know, like forget about transformation of the world and the climate and climate change and everything else. But even just on an individual level, you know, we can choose to do it in a state of happiness and abundance and that type of thing, or we can choose to do it in a state of fear and inflammation. And, you know, like the most obvious example is our health, right? You know, like you can choose to make good choices on taking care of yourself, eating good, exercising when you're in a good state, or you can do it when you get cancer. And now you're already at that point where just getting back to regenerating, you know, your being as being healthy again is just so so much more difficult. And I think that at least allows me to kind of wrap my head around the significance of what we're talking about here, especially when I think about my kids, right? Because when I think about my kids and their future, naturally as a dad, it's important. And that's why I really wanted to have this conversation. Because even if we can be one piece of awareness or a ripple effect that, you know, gets people talking about this in a different way and taking small actions can have a huge impact ultimately. And, uh, I know you've got a few things on the go even now as you're, you know, working in the environment that you are right now on the boats and doing that kind of thing. And you you forwarded over a few things to me. Uh, I believe you referenced it as the street. Do you want to maybe speak about that and what the inspiration was behind it and just give a little context to everybody? Because it kind of speaks to that little, you know, micro change in a community that then can lead to a bigger global impact. You know, just to, to start with that, when you, in business, you, they talk about, or we talk about um, the crystal ball, right? We talk about being able to look into the future and say, okay, well, where is society going? Where is our culture going? And when, when we arrive at a new destination and we reach out for a product or a service as a business, if you try to look into that crystal, crystal ball and see what that might be, you try to set up your, your shop or your product so that when culture arrives there and society arrives at that point and reaches out, you're like, here we go. I have the service and I have the product available. Uh, you know, that's what Steve Jobs was so good at. He was so good at looking in the crystal ball and, and saying, well, this is where we're headed and this is what we're going to all be reaching for. And then he created his products to, to fit into that, to that market. Uh, and that's what created modern day Apple it was visionaries like Steve Jobs and others. So this project, The Street, it's about looking at where we're, we're going uh, and and trying to fill that the service of educating on sustainability and, and creating excitement around the solutions that are available and and creating appreciation around diversity, diversity in nature and also as us as a part of nature, human beings, like the, the diversity of humans as well. So you know the motto for this program is celebrate diversity. And it's meant to it's meant to encompass the all of diversity uh, that we're celebrating. And so it's it's a project that is basically celebrating cross cultural education and cross cultural appreciation, while at the same time offering solutions for helping to protect uh, the environment and culture, so that we can all move forward in a way that we're appreciating each other and offering each other solutions for protecting our planet and our world and and not fighting with each other and creating more fear and separation. So this is a project that's it's um, it's meant to be self-perpetuating. So you know we identified it when we started talking about okay, well if we're trying to create cross-cultural appreciation, like how do we do that? How do we how do we go out into the world and and select you know these these motivating factors that allow us to appreciate each other? And we realized when we started looking at this that in every city on the planet, it's already happening. There's already cross-cultural appreciation happening. And it's happening through food. You know, like we've all had, you know, these different, we've all had Chinese food or Mexican food or some other, some other cultural food, right? Um, <laughs> Speaking we, of burgers. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, so it's already happening. We're already appreciating each other in this way. And so, yeah. so we're using that as like a doorway to kind of say, okay, well, if you're appreciating food from another culture, then like maybe we can also be appreciating other aspects of that culture. So we, mm. it's about utilizing the food as a doorway. And so that's why we call this project The Street, because we're serving at this location, at the, within the, uh, the realms of this offering, is, is street food. So it's street food from, from all over the world, from different cultures. But it doesn't stop there. What we're also offering is a venue site as well. 
So we're meant to be showing these these documentaries that you talk about um, that are inspiring you to to learn more and appreciate more about the planet, appreciate more about in, environment or each other. We would offer a space for this as well, like a venue space that would be available to the public, so they could come and they could try out different foods uh, from different cultures, and then as well they could maybe watch a documentary on what's happening in that particular area of the world or in their own community. And then it's also a venue site that, that would be offered for people that are interested in, in giving education, speaking, uh, TED Talk type yeah. experiences. So it's, it's kind of answering all that at once. So yeah, it's a, it's a project. That, and the whole thing is, is housed in, a, in a up, what we call an upcycled building. It's made out of shipping containers and everything in, in, the, in this, uh, this location is all upcycled materials. So it's, 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 enhan- it's uh, enhancing this idea of the reduce, reuse, recycle and inspiring different ways that we could be doing this. Uh, so it's, it's kind of like, it, it, we're calling it like a sustainability hub and, and cultural center. And, yeah. and this is, we're trying to build this and we're hoping to build it in one city and then in another and another. And the more cities that we put it in, the more um, educated we can, we can be about the solutions that, that we need to, to celebrate diversity and, and to help protect it. Well, I find it interesting too, because being in Canada, it's actually uh, a, quite a diverse um, population here. Like there's a lot of immigrants in Canada. There's a lot of, well, Canada was founded by immigrants, you know, but this is going to go down and down seven different passes. So let me see if <laughs> yeah, I can spit good. it out. But like, so people, so people are a little bit more restricted to staying at home. People aren't traveling as much. People are missing it naturally. What do they miss about traveling? Well, they miss the experience of being in a new culture. They miss the experience of being surrounded by different people, eating different foods, naturally seeing different places and that type of thing. Right. But I think what you're alluding to here is like creating a space. Like I can imagine this in Vancouver, like there's literally, it's a melting pot of people and foods and culture. And, and it could be, you know, a collection place for people to come together that maybe aren't either capable of, or just not wanting to travel in the way that we used to, but still being able to have that experience closer to home and actually get educated along the way so that they can see the impact of what they do in their backyard and how it actually impacts the rest of the world. That's where my brain went with all of this. Did, that, did any of that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's that's the new reality that we're living in is, is that we have right. so much of this information that's available to us at our fingertips through these screens and um, through other means, means of media. Like it's, uh, we don't have to do as much traveling as we used to. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, I mean, traveling, it, it does, it, it opens you up to new, new ideas and, and new cultures. I mean, that's when we are the most open to other cultures outside of the one that we grew up in or the one that we're familiar with is when we, when we go out and we cross the border and we go somewhere new, that's when we're like, yeah. we're interested in it. It's not something that's like, Oh, this is that thing. And it's separate and it's weird. And it's different for me. It's, it's, you, you go there and you're like, wow, this is different. And this is cool. I like that. It's different. This is this is interesting, you know, like, let's go mm-hmm. deeper, let's go travel, let's go, let's go explore, let's go into the mountains, let's go into the marketplaces, and let's go see what all these differences are, and try the new tastes, and smell the new smells, and look at the new textures, and, you know, that's when we're really, our curiosity is sparked, and so mm-hmm. that was what we were trying to create with this project as well, is like, the, the entire thing looks like a, like an international marketplace, you know, yeah. it's like, as I said, it's housed in shipping containers, and we're serving street food from all over the world. And we even have ethically sourced, you know, crafts and goods. So it kind of has that marketplace feel. And the idea is to kind of spark that curiosity and inspiration that you're open to when you're traveling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that you can, as we said at the beginning, create more appreciation. Because what we appreciate, we tend to want to protect. So it starts there. there. That's the twofold aspect of it. It's like create the appreciation. Well, first create the curiosity. And then through the curiosity, we come to maybe appreciate some things. And then once we're appreciating it, it's like, oh, we want to learn how to protect it. Well, here's the solutions. Yeah, I love how all of this kind of ties back to that. Something as simple as that that can have a greater impact on these seemingly insurmountable challenges that we all face. Because I know that's, uh, I know my brain goes that direction sometimes too, but then I coach myself, you know, like we've, and again, this is why we go to the men's group is to like literally just be able to say out loud, like, 
oh man, I'm just feeling heavy today. Like, I feel like there's really nothing that I can do to like create any kind of positive impact on the world and blah. You know what I mean? Like just get it out and then have other people pick you up and, and uh, you know, see you and hear you. And, you know, it, it just allows you to shift your perspective. And I think you're, you're speaking to a, a piece of that with this, uh, with this project. So I'm glad we got a chance to talk about that and I'll make sure I link it up. Make sure to send me over whatever you can that you want me to put out so that people can kind of see what we're talking about here as well. I've got one last little bit here on this interview that I want to run with you, run through with you. I call it the the power of one lightning round. So okay. <laughs> don't mistake don't mistake this for like you don't have to give one word answers or anything like that. Um, it's just intentionally meant to be like a series of seven questions that I always wrap up every interview with. So you ready to roll? Sure. All right. So first question I got for you is who is one person or mentor that's been the most influential in your life? All time. So you can go right back to childhood if you want. Well, the one person that's been the most influential. Oh, I mean, like, like just anybody, male or female? Anybody. I would say my mother. Mm. Yeah, my mother is a, she's, she's a sailor gypsy, just a, an empowered woman. And, uh, and I've really, I've, I've gained a lot from having the experience of being her son. Yeah, she's been a powerful influence in my life. You know, I, I, here I am sailing and traveling uh, in her footsteps. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. A lot of people go back to their parents for sure, you know, and if they don't, it's usually because of some childhood trauma story, but then somebody else came in and became the father or mother figure for them. And that's a lot of times where people default to, you know, yeah, as far yeah. as most impactful, you know. I mean, it's important to have role models, isn't it? Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, who is one person or mentor that you would say is the most influential in your life in this moment right now? In this moment? Hmm. Yeah. Like, like in your reality right now. So not necessarily looking back to, you know, early childhood, but just like the people you spend the most time with right now. Yeah. I mean, like I've got some, I've got some really good kind of brothers that I've, I've fallen in, in with here in New Zealand. Um, you know, some, some self-actuated, uh, accountable, authentic uh, brothers. And, and, um, one of them is named Lachlan. He's a, he's a, a good friend of mine here in New Zealand. And I've taken a lot from that, from that friendship and, and that example of like, um, you know, another brother kind of making his way in the world, but doing it with heart and centered integrity. Mm. Yeah. So not yeah. anybody your listeners would know, but yeah, this, this guy Lachlan, who I met in New Zealand, this <laughs> amazing character. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. It's, it's important, I think, that, and the reason I ask that question is I get all, varying answers on that one, right? But a lot of times it always centers back to, like, the people that you spend the most time with or the people that you admire or, um, you know, people that just give off a good vibe and an energy, right? And it's just a reminder for other people to, if you don't have your tribe, go find it. You know, don't, don't sit and, and expect it to come to you. Like go, go find it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One. Yeah. And this is a lot of inspiration in the world. You know, there's a lot of inspiring people out there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. What is one philanthropic cause that means the most to you and why? Well, there's, there's one um, program that, that has just come online recently that, that I actually, uh, find really interesting because I think it has a lot of potential and it's called the dollar donation club. Uh, mm. and it's basically, it's, it's, it's based on the premise of like crowdsourcing philanthropy. Does that, mm. if that makes sense? So, it, mm -hmm. you know, the idea is that, is that every, if a billion people give a dollar, then you've got a billion dollars that you can, right. that you can donate, you know, and there's plenty of people on the planet with the, that we could do this with, you know? So, and, and I see, unfortunately, a lot of billionaires, um, and I'm not the only one that sees this, a lot of billionaires that like have this money and they're just like not really doing great things with it. Um, yeah. and, and so it's kind of like, well, why are we waiting for them? You know, let's all be mm. our, own, our own billionaire philanthropist. So that's mm. a really interesting project that's come online because then they go through and they just vet and vote on different um, philanthropic projects, mostly relating to protecting the environment because that's yeah. the biggest pressing concern for us right now. Uh, and, um, yeah. And then they vote in the, towards, you know, putting and funding 
these projects, putting money into them. So that's a good one. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'll definitely link that up and go check it out too. I know I had a conversation with a friend the other day where we were talking about, um, you know, what it would take to eradicate uh, world hunger, you know, and the number is like, it's a massive number, but in context of like what some big corporations or individual, you know, 0.001 percenters, it could be solved literally overnight, you know? So yeah, why isn't yeah. it happening? But I love that angle though, where it's like, well, why wait for somebody else to do it when the masses can actually collectively do this without really significantly impacting their own way of life, right? Like, right. what's a dollar? I mean, what's we know dollar? that crowdsourcing works, right? We, we've, mm-hmm. seen it, we've seen it in action and we've seen it work for funding other projects. So why not fund the philanthropy that's saving our planet? We can do yeah. it. Yeah, and it seems to me it's it's uh, it's kind of like what this whole conversation is about, which is really about the story of how this impacts you, right? So, like tying it to the fact that a crowdfunded, you donate a dollar, and we can actually do X, Y, and Z. If it has a really compelling story attached to it, that's what makes people take action, right? It's it's the same when I put my marketing hat on, my sales hat on. It's the same thing. Everything people buy into ideas or enroll into ideas based on. The stories and how the story, it like, yeah. really relates to them, you know? Yeah. We are in the middle of like the most epic story in human history. You know, as right. I was saying earlier, this this generation, the people that are alive on the planet right now are going to decide the fate of this of this species for thousands of years. This generation, yeah. you know, that's that's the story. Like we are in it. And we have the the choice to to like make this an epic tale you know, of, of redemption and, and heart and courage to, to like make the right choices. You know, that's Mm -hmm. the story that we're in and we can all play a part in it. That's what's so great about that, that program is that we can all be a part of that. We can be a part of it in our families and in our communities, and we can get involved in, in the, in voting for the, the broader policies, you know, and, and I don't say just say voting in the ballot booth, but also voting with your money, voting with how you choose to participate in this, this experiment of capitalism. Where are yeah. you putting it? Where are you choosing to, to express this is what I am supporting by what I'm putting my money into? I love it. A uh, couple more questions. What is one thing you are most grateful for right now? I mean, I'm grateful for my health. You know, we're going, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're, we're looking at, you know, lots of people that are struggling with, um, with health. And we're looking at a world that has been shut down because of, you know, problems associated with human health. Yeah. So, so that's definitely, uh, what I'm in this moment, the most grateful for, for health, uh, for, for friends, the support of friends and family around me for being in a privileged, you know, um, state of being. You know, I, I feel like if I'm not struggling to survive, if I'm not like looking for where my next meal is coming from, uh, yeah. you know, then like I'm in a state of privilege. And so I'm totally. constantly grateful for that. You know, I'm grateful that I get to be one of the minority populations on the planet that can think about these things, that can think about, you know, how yeah. can we do better? How can we come together to help save the planet? How can we protect what there is left? You know, because a large portion of the, pe- the planet can't be thinking about that. They're just worried about mm-hmm. their own survival and bless them. That's what, yeah. that's the only capacity that they have. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm grateful to not be in that part of the, of the world population that I'm in the privileged part that can actually do something about this and think about our future and hold that responsibility. I'm not just struggling yeah. to survive. Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm grateful for. Yeah, it's a good one. Perception, right? It's um, and just it's like going back to just Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like if you're in a state where you're literally just trying to survive day to day, then planet be damned. I need to eat, you know. Exactly. I, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's up and to think, it's it's up to the kind the art the populations the you know the in these what whether you want to call them Western or developed countries, you know, like we're the ones that have to decide for the rest of the planet because because everybody else is is just struggling. You know, mm-hmm. not everybody, but, you know, a large portion of the, of the countries and populations chunk. out there are, yeah. are just struggling. You can't expect them to to be worried about, you know, the environment when they're just trying to survive. You know, so yeah. it's really it's up to us in the privileged countries to to make these choices and, and to carry that weight for the rest of the world. 
Yeah. Good answer. What is uh, one thing you are most curious about right now and looking to explore more about? Well, I mean, I think, you know, alluding to our conversations, the, the thing that I'm most curious about is the capacity of the human race to, to answer the call. Yeah. You know, that's what I'm inspired to see, you know, because there's a lot of reasons to give up. There's a lot of reasons to look out at the world and say, wow, there's just too much happening. Like, what could I do? You know, um, yeah. that's there and that's, that's easy. That's the easy way to, to just kind of like, well, I'm just going to, you know, worry about myself and, and, and worry about having fun and enjoying the years that I have because the rest of it's just, you know, it's just mm. going to hell in a handbasket. Uh, so yeah. it's, it's a, it, being able to look around and see people that move beyond that and say, you know what, there's hope here. There's not only is there hope, but there's like a good chance that we can really like be the heroes of the story. And I want to be a part mm. of that. You know, and, and yeah. seeing that courage and that inspiration. And it, if you look for it, it's everywhere. It's happening in every community, in every country across the planet. There's people that are taking part in be, being the heroes of this story. Yeah. And that's, that's really what's the most interesting to me right now, is, is following that and being inspired by that and watching that unfold. Yeah, you just said something at the end of that that's kind of struck with me, which is like what we seek out, we find, you know, like what you're looking for, you will see. And I think it very much pertains to this, you know, like if you're, if you're looking for somebody to uh, align with you on how much you hate your government, you will find those people, you know, and they will validate your position and you will stay in a state of hate and anger and it will kill you. Or you can stay in a state of happiness and possibility and, you know, wanting to create impact and find those people and attract those people, right? It's these conversations I feel is my small contribution is to bring people like you on to say these things out loud so that people can think differently. Like just if that first piece can snap, we can Yeah, I mean, impact. when we're talking about our own personal development and we are having a problem, we talk about like, you know, recognize the problem, but then work into the solutions, you know, like mm-hmm. how, whatever the modality might be, because it's different for everybody and we all latch on to different ways of, of finding these solutions. But, you know, like we need to look at that from a societal standpoint as well. You know, how are we going to, to, to solve these problems? Are we going to just like, you know, identify them and say, wow, there's just like all these problems and just like dwell on it? Just like mm. that would be unhealthy to be in our own personal growth. You don't find problems and then just dwell on it because then you just get depressed and you know, like you don't find the solutions. So it's the same thing with, with what we're looking at in the world. It's like when we recognize the problems, you know, don't want to gaslight it and say, it's all great and we're not going to look at it. We want to look at it. We want to look at the horrors of it and then say, okay, let's not get stuck here. Let's now like recognize that that's happening and then move into whatever the solutions are. Mm-hmm. And I really think that that's, I mean, if you notice like, with the way that these documentaries and these, these awarenesses that have unfolded about what's happening in our world, is they started out very doom and gloom. They're very much like, yeah. there's all these terrible things happening, and then they just kind of like left that with you. And you're just like, wow, wh- how, what can I do about this? This is just, there's just like so much destruction in the world. I have no way of affecting this. And now if you go and you watch these, these, these documentaries, these, these uh, information, this packets of information that are coming out into our awareness, it's, it's about offering what's happening, saying this is real and this is devastating, but here are all the solutions and here's the inspiration and, you know, hopefully it'll provide some courage to do the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. Last question for you, Cyrus, which is what is one thing that scares you right now that, you know, you need to face with bravery? Oh, well, I mean like the, the fear of, um, inaction and lethargy, you know, the, mm. the, the, uh, to be paralyzed by the fear that, you know, we're, we're currently on a trajectory that if we keep on going is not a very good trajectory, you know, and, and that means like on a global scale, but also on a personal scale, you know, like I, I want to be able to, to, to go out and experience like a healthy, happy planet. I don't want to be going out into an apocalyptic planet as, as what I experience as a human being. You know, I want to be able to enjoy my years on this planet and, and feel like there's hope and there's, there's like happiness and joy and the celebration of diversity and enjoyment of all those spaces. And it's not a struggle of fear and separation. So, 
yeah, that's what I fear the most is, is falling into that, into that trap of, of just being in a fear state, falling into mm. separation and, and, and being afraid of everything. You know, I think that, uh, I appreciate that, that we can, we can rise above all that, that we can unify and we can appreciate each other and, and celebrate all the differences that we have in our world. Yeah. Love it. Um, those last three questions where I ask about gratefulness and curiosity and bravery, like it's another theme of what I'm um, creating here, which is, you know, I know my kids are going to watch this in 10, 15, 20 years. And those are three words that I want them to live by, you know, and I think us having these conversations and then also revisiting them too. So you and I will definitely have to do a follow-up on this because every single person that I asked the last question to around bravery, just the act of like saying it out loud brings awareness to it of what they know they need to go and do. And then naturally, like, let's talk again in six months and let's see, like, you've got a big vision of what this future looks like and the impact that you can create. And I'd love to be a conduit to help you accomplish that and create accountability for everybody that's listening to this and all of that kind of stuff to create change. So, yeah, yeah, it's a likewise. lot, but it's Let's fun. Do it together. I love these conversations, man. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm totally, um, you know, I'm just fascinated. I'm curious right now about these conversations. So, like the the questions I'm asking you are coming partially from a place of like. You know, I've seen a handful of things that made me get that fear in me, like you said, where you're just like, oh, my God, what yeah. have we been doing? Like, I've been a part of this generation since 1976 that's got us to here. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, we are terrible people, you know? Like, this is what goes through a person's head. But then but then you just flip it, and you're like, but wait a second. I'm still alive. We, we're not irreversible in all of these things that are happening. There's something that can be done. So it's just literally like a switch flip for me. And then naturally you go, but how? So for me, it's these questions to people like you that have been sailing around the world for 20 years that have seen these things. It just, it opens up a new level for me. So I appreciate that. I, I appreciate you having this conversation with me as well and sharing, you know, kind of your, your position and your thoughts on all of this stuff with all your experience. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It's, a, it's good to, to talk about, you know, it's, we need to be having these conversations and be talking about solutions and finding and pushing that, that courageous inspiration to, to handle these things. Cause we have the power to do it. We have the technology and we've got the means and we've got the resources, you know, and, and we've got the willpower. We just have to want to do it, you know? And, and, and mm. I think once we were, are appreciating more of, of that aspect, you know, more of, of our own power of being able to handle it and do it, and do it well, then I think that it'll just come, you know, there's, there's a, there's actually one before we, we sign off, just for you and for your your viewers, uh, Project Drawdown is a really good space to go to if you're looking for solutions. They're the mm. the world uh, standard, basically, like the biggest organization for offering solutions to climate change and other environmental issues. Yeah, and it's really cool. uh, it's a really inspirational place to to check out. It's by the uh, the Buckminster Fuller Institute in the United States. Project Drawdown. Nice, excellent. I'll make sure to link it up. And on that note, too, where can people connect with you, find out more about what you got going on? What's the best place? Well, they can go to uh, www.thestreet.nz or NZ. And, uh, okay. and that's the website that we have. It's still under construction, but we yeah. have a website there, and you can sign up for our newsletter. You can learn more about the street as we develop it and as we get launched. Excellent. I'll make sure to link that up. Um, NZ, NZ. It's so funny hearing that, right? Because yeah, I've, yeah. I've lived in the States before I went to school there. Of course, I'm Canadian, so that's most polarizing in these two countries. What is it in Canada? Is it Z or Z? I honestly, I, I constantly forget, to be honest. I think it's Z. I think yeah. it's Z. But like, because I've lived in both places, it's, I got made fun of in one place for saying it one way and then the other way. And then I just literally forgot yeah. <laughs> what each, you know, I had country to get used actually to it. I'm used to yeah. saying Z, you know, and I, I've been here for the last two years and now I've, I've gotten used to the Z. So, yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, uh, again, thank you so much for doing this. I, I, we, I've started to hear the little creaking on the boat there, which is awesome. Like, it's yeah. really going to add some flavor to this interview. <laughs> you are my first interview with somebody on a boat, I have to say. Oh, okay, great. Nice. Well, we'll have to do it again sometime. Absolutely. We will definitely do that. Thanks so much, Iris. Thanks, Trevor. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Trevor Turnbull Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please consider subscribing on my YouTube channel and on your favorite podcast platform and leave me a review. I'd love to hear from you. Now, until next time, remember, today is a beautiful day of opportunity. Trust that you're exactly where you're supposed to be right now. So be grateful, be curious, and be brave. 